You are listening to the Sermons Podcast from the North Church in Moundsview, Minnesota. For more gospel-focused resources or information about our church, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com. The sermon text for this morning is Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 36. Again, we're going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 8, verses 1 through 36 this morning. And if you're using one of the blue Bibles that's found under the chairs in front of you, you can find that passage on page 532. Proverbs chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I wisdom dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself, and all who hate me love death.
Well, my name is Andy Nacelli. My wife Jenny and I have four daughters, and I teach systematic theology at our church's school, Bethlehem College and Seminary, and I gladly serve as one of our church's pastors. We're preaching a sermon series on Proverbs 1 through 9, and this morning we get to exult in Proverbs 8. So let's begin by praying together. Father, as we hear your words in Proverbs 8, would you please help us to listen to wisdom? Amen. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a famous Russian author who exposed the evils of communism in the Soviet Union. He lived from 1918 to 2008. The day before Russia exiled him to the West in 1974, he released an essay titled, Live Not By Lies. He exhorted his fellow Russians not to conform to the lies of the Soviet Union. And he argued that those lies are an evil ideology. Those lies are an illusion. Those lies don't correspond with reality. Rod Dreher builds on that essay in his book published in 2020. It's called Live Not By Lies, a manual for Christian dissidents. And he shows that there are some eerie similarities between communist totalitarianism and our current situation in America. And that this may be affecting you more than you realize. So here's just one obvious way that our culture is living by lies. In March 2022, just over a year ago, during Supreme Court confirmation hearings for Judge Katanji Brown Jackson, a senator asked the judge, can you provide a definition for the word woman? Remember this? And the judge replied, I can't. I'm not a biologist. And the senator followed up, the meaning of the word woman is so unclear and controversial that you can't give me a definition. And that judge, who was confirmed as a Supreme Court justice the next month, refused to define the word woman. And we all know why. If she gave a basic, scientifically sound definition, she'd have to say something like this. A woman is an adult, human, female. But she wouldn't dare say that because that is out of step with transgender ideology. The culture is pretending that a man can identify as a woman and that a woman can identify as a man and if you identify as something, that makes it so. Our culture is playing a rebellious version of make-believe. Our culture is living by lies. And you'll be thinking, well, I'm not tempted to live by that lie. Well, here are five evergreen ways that humans have been tempted to live by lies. And these are examples straight from the book of Proverbs. I mentioned them in my recent sermon on Proverbs 3. Number one, children, children. You are living by lies if you disobey what your parents teach you. you know, how is that living by lies? Well, you're living by the lie that you'll be better off if you go your own way. Number two, fathers and mothers, you're living by lies if you refuse to use the rod of discipline on your disobedient young children. You're living by the lie that what God tells parents is too severe or too inconvenient. Number three, teens and adults, you're living by lies if you have sex outside of the marriage covenant of one man and one woman. 
You're living by the lie that God is withholding satisfying pleasures from you and that you'll be happier if you indulge in what God forbids. Number four, you're living by lies if you refuse to work hard and you loaf around and mooch off others. You're living by the lie that you're so important that you deserve handouts. And number five, you're living by lies if you attempt to find ultimate security and satisfaction in money and possessions and stuff. You think uh, you're, you're living by the lie that, that getting more stuff will make your covetous and envious heart happy, satisfied. It's foolish to live by lies, isn't it? We should live in a way that corresponds with reality. We should live by the truth. And that means we need to listen to God's wisdom. And that's what Proverbs 8 is about. I'd like to preach to you from Proverbs 8 on this subject. Listen to wisdom. Listen to wisdom. We'll unpack Proverbs 8 in five sections. We'll start with verses 1 to 3, the introduction, which I'd summarize like this. Wisdom is calling out to you to guide you. Let's read it. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice on the heights or the highest points beside the way at the crossroads she takes her stand beside the gates in front of the town at the entrance of the portals at the main entrance she cries aloud. We'll stop there. The verses 1 to 3 are the introduction to all of chapter 8. It's the only part in chapter 8 in which wisdom is not speaking. So this introduces it all, and it raises at least two questions. Here's one question. What is wisdom? So this, this whole chapter doesn't define wisdom. The rest of this chapter describes it, but here the author of Proverbs assumes that you already know what wisdom is because you've read Proverbs 1 through 7. So the opening lines of Proverbs tell you that this entire book exists to help you know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight. That's the point of Proverbs. So what exactly is wisdom? Well, wisdom in its essence, I think, is skill or ability. So let me show you this from some other passages of scripture then we'll circle back to Proverbs. So here's one example. In Genesis 41, Joseph is wise in that he can skillfully govern Egypt. That's wisdom, skillful governing. In Exodus 31, Bezalel is wise in that he is skillful at craftsmanship and artistic designs. In 1 Kings 7, Hiram is wise in that he can skillfully make any work in bronze. In Jeremiah 4, this one's stunning, the people of Israel are wise in that they are skillful at sinning. I want to quote this one. They are, quote unquote, wise in doing evil but how to do good they know not. Skillful at sinning. And number five, throughout the Bible, God is wise in that he is skillful at accomplishing his holy will. God is perfect at everything he does. That's wisdom. So how would you finish this sentence? A man is wise in Proverbs in that he can skillfully do what? In what sense is a wise person skillful? 
Well, one clue, I'm going to answer that in just a second. One clue to answer that question is to look at parallel terms for wisdom in Proverbs. So a proverb is a form of poetry, so the lines logically relate to one another. In English, poetry tends to rhyme words. In Hebrew poetry, it tends to rhyme thoughts, thoughts. So sometimes the word wisdom is parallel to a different word that means basically the same thing. And at least five words are parallel to wisdom in Proverbs 1 to 7. Here they are. Instruction, understanding, knowledge, insight, and uprightness. Now what all these terms have in common is not merely knowing information, though it includes that. But it's not knowing information like a computer database can access facts. Wisdom in Proverbs is a particular kind of skill. So here's how I finish that sentence. A man is wise in Proverbs and that he can skillfully live. It's about skillful living. So here's how I define wisdom. Wisdom is the skill to live well or more precisely, prudently and astutely. So the word prudent means acting with or showing care and thought for the future. Astute means having or showing an ability to accurately assess situations or people and turn this to your advantage. So here's an example. Uh, this is from chapter five, the passage that Brian Lichty preached on a few weeks ago. A wise man does not merely understand that the speech of a forbidden woman drips honey and is smoother than oil and that in the end she is sharp as a two-edged sword and that her feet go down to death. He does understand that. But it's more than that. A wise man skillfully applies that knowledge with the result that he keeps his way far from her and he drinks water from his own well. So wisdom is the skill to live prudently and astutely. That's what wisdom is. So that's the first question this introduction to Proverbs 8 raises. What is wisdom? Here's the second question. What exactly is Proverbs 8 picturing? Now I'll answer that question by backing up and asking another question. Here it is. What do these four sentences have in common other than that they appear in the Bible? Let's read them. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. Love does not insist on its own way. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. Notice that's from Proverbs 9, which we'll look at next week. So what do those four sentences have in common? They employ the same figure of speech. Do you know which one it is? What's it called? It starts with a P. Someone got over there, yeah, personification. Personification, what's that? It's representing a non-person as a person. So a non-person includes inanimate objects like rivers and hills and wilderness and dry land. And it includes virtues and vices like love and folly. So consider those sentences again. Uh, rivers don't clap their hands. People do. Hills don't sing for joy. People do. Uh, the wilderness doesn't have feelings or emotions like gladness. People do. Love doesn't choose to look to the interests of others. People do. Uh, folly isn't a loud, seductive, ignorant woman. Only a person can be a woman, right? but you didn't trip over those sentences when we read them. You got the gist. You understand what it means to personify an object or a quality. 
It's crucial that you understand this figure of speech, personification, in order to understand God's words to us in Proverbs 8. The entire passage personifies wisdom. That's what Proverbs 8 is doing, personifying wisdom. So verses 1 to 3 introduce wisdom as this, a person who's speaking loudly. And the rest of Proverbs 8 is all direct speech in which wisdom talks to us as if wisdom is a person. This passage explains in more detail what Proverbs 1, 20 and 21 says. Wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets. She raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. So Proverbs is picturing a person making a public announcement at a place in the city where the largest crowd will gather and hear it. And wisdom's speech in Proverbs 8 is the opposite of how the woman speaks in Proverbs 7 that we looked at last week. So I'll refer to Proverbs, the Proverbs 8 woman as Lady Wisdom. And since the wicked woman in Proverbs 7 lurks in the darkness, I call her the Shady Lady. All right, so kids, last week, Dr. Jared Compton encouraged you to draw stick figures like these. So these are my drawings, how to do with the skirts, okay? Um, and notice chapter seven, chapter eight, there's a contrast. Unrelated note, when my wife, uh, my wife and daughters find this story funny. Um, when I was younger, uh, some of my Christian buddies, we'd try to encourage one another by, um, if we were, say, driving down the road and there was a grossly immodest woman on a billboard. Someone might say, pro seven, two o'clock, and I would signal the guys to look a different direction. Uh, anyway, okay, so the, the, the two women in Proverbs seven are strikingly different. The shady lady in Proverbs seven lurks in the street corners at night in the darkness. The lady wisdom in Proverbs eight speaks loudly when a large crowd is there during the daytime so that everyone can see and hear wisdom. The shady lady seeks a young man by seizing him and compelling him with smooth talk to lead him as an ox goes to the slaughter. Many a victim she's laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. In contrast, Lady Wisdom seeks us to guide us for our good. So Proverbs 8 pictures Lady Wisdom calling out to you. The shady lady and Lady Wisdom are calling out to you. They're both trying to persuade you. Which lady will you listen to? Verses one to three set the scene for wisdom speech. The first part of that scene is verses four to 11. I'd summarize like this. Listen to wisdom because wisdom is true and valuable. Let's start in verses four and five where wisdom basically says, listen to me. To you, O oh men, I call and my cry is to the children of man, to all mankind. O simple ones, O gullible, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense, develop common sense. Listen to me. That's how she starts off. And then she continues in verses six to nine and basically says, listen to me because I speak the truth. Verse six, hear, for I will speak noble things and from my lips will come what is right. From my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. There's nothing deceptive or perverse in them. They're all straight. 
to him who understands. That is, wisdom's words are straightforward, they're clear, they're plain to the discerning, and they are right or upright to those who find knowledge. Listen to me because I speak the truth, she says. And she continues in verses 10 and 11 and basically says, listen to me because my words are more valuable than riches. Look at verse 10. Take or choose my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So listen to wisdom personified because wisdom is true and valuable. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. So don't you want wisdom? The next section starts to describe wisdom, verses 12 to 21. I summarize like this. Love wisdom if you want to live prudently and astutely. In verse 12, wisdom describes herself by telling us whom she hangs around. I, wisdom, dwell or share a home with prudence or shrewdness. That's the right use of knowledge in special cases. And I find knowledge and discretion. That's, that's careful behavior that comes from clear thinking. And then in verse 13, wisdom describes herself by telling us what she hates. And I encourage you to remember verse 13 as our culture celebrates so-called Pride Month, even now in all of June. Look at verse 13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. And to hate evil is not just to dislike it, it's to reject it as false and have nothing to do with it. In verse 14, wisdom describes herself by telling us what she has. I have counsel or good advice and sound wisdom, sound judgment. I have insight. I have strength or power. And then in verses 15 and 16, wisdom describes herself by telling us what kind of people rightly use her. Verse 15, by me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. That is, rulers enact just law through wisdom. By me, princes rule. Rulers lead with the help of wisdom and nobles, all who govern justly. Now, consequently, we should love and seek wisdom. Verse 17, I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently, or those who diligently seek me, find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. So he's saying wealth is a reward of wisdom. It's not the goal of wisdom. My fruit is better than gold, even fine or pure gold, and my yield, my harvest, than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the path of justice, for what purpose? Granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. So verses 17 to 21, here's the argument. We should love and seek wisdom, that's verse 17, why? Verses 18 and 19, because it's valuable. And verse 20, because it's upright. And verse 21, because it's rewarding. So wisdom is great. And, and how does wisdom relate to riches? Don't miss this. Wisdom is better 
than riches, and wealth is a result of wisdom, sometimes in this life and always in the next life. So the conclusion here is love wisdom if you want to live prudently and astutely. And in the next section, verses 22 to 31, wisdom describes herself even more. Wisdom helped the Lord create the heavens and the earth. Throughout Proverbs 8, wisdom personified is exhorting us, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And you might be thinking, why should I listen to you? Verses 22 to 31 give four reasons you should listen to wisdom. Here's reason number one to listen to wisdom. I existed before God created the world. Therefore, I am distinct from creation and I am eternal. That's verses 22 to 26. Let's read it. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work of, of creation, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. So at the very beginning, when the world came to be, when there were no depths, no ocean depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth before he had made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. That's reason number one. Reason number two to listen to wisdom is this. I was there when God created the world. I saw him do it. Verse 27, when he established the heavens, when he set the heavens in place, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, so when he, when he marked out the place where the sky meets the sea, the horizon, when he made firm the skies, the clouds above, when he established the fountains, the springs of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit or boundary so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, I was there. I was there. Now, when you want to understand a really important event, you want to hear from someone who was there. You want to hear from an eyewitness. So an example, it really helped me to better understand the tragic events of September 11th, 2001, when I listened to the audiobook, The Only Plane in the Sky. It's also a book. Don't, don't, if you listen to it, do the audiobook because it has all the people's voices. And it's an oral history in which nearly 500 eyewitnesses tell what they saw. And these witnesses include President Bush, other government officials, first responders, survivors, friends, family members. Do you want to understand better God and the world he created? Then listen to an eyewitness. Listen to wisdom. Wisdom was there when God created the world. Wisdom saw God do it. Here's reason number three to listen to wisdom. I wasn't just there when God created the world. I helped God create the world. Ooh. Look at this, first line of verse 30. Then I was beside him like a master workman. He wasn't just there. Excuse me, she. Sorry. Lady Wisdom wasn't just there. She helped. Now this implies that if you want to live successfully, you need wisdom. You're a fool if you try to live without wisdom. So note the progression so far in our first three arguments. Reason one, I was before creation. Reason two, I was at creation. Reason three, 
I was the agent of creation. I'm not a creature. I'm not a created thing. I actually helped God create the world. And now, reason four to listen to wisdom. I have been God's constant delight and I enjoy God and his world. Let's read the rest of verse 30. I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man, the sons of mankind, all human beings. So verses 22 to 31 our wisdom telling us why we should listen to her. When you reject wisdom, you're foolishly going against the grain of how God designed the world. It's like petting a cat backwards. It's just not the right way to do it. For example, when a man rejects wisdom by committing adultery, he suffers the destructive consequences of that sin. And when you reject wisdom, you are foolishly rejecting the creator himself. So those are four reasons to listen to wisdom in verses 22 to 31. Before we move on, though, to verses 32 to 36, we need to pause here and go a little deeper. In my opinion, this passage, verses 22 to 31, is the single most challenging passage to interpret in the book of Proverbs. Here's why. Does this passage remind you of anyone? Are you thinking... Is this passage about God the Son? So here's what all Christians agree on. God the Father created the world through God the Son. About 2,000 years ago, God the Son took on flesh, and Jesus the Messiah ultimately embodies wisdom. Christ is the wisdom of God. Christ became to us wisdom from God, 1 Corinthians 1. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2. So Christians agree about that. But Christians don't agree about how Jesus relates to this passage in Proverbs 8. So ever since Jesus lived, died, and rose again for sinners, professing Christians have interpreted this passage in at least four basic ways. Let me show this to you quickly. The first view is that Proverbs 8 teaches that God the Son is a created being. The Greek translation of the Old Testament renders verse 22 something like this, the Lord created me. Some translations say created. I think the ESV translates verse 22 well with the word possessed. And then verse 24 says, when there were no depths, I was brought forth or I was born. So in the church's first centuries, some people deny that Jesus is God and one of their main arguments was that Proverbs 8 teaches that the Lord created Jesus and that therefore God the Son is not eternal and therefore not equal with God. And a popular teacher named Arius argued there was a time when the Son was not. That is, there was a time when the Son did not exist. This false teaching is called Arianism and it's what modern day Jehovah's Witnesses believe. According to this view, Jesus is a creature and thus not God. And just yesterday, one of my friends was talking to some Jehovah's Witnesses in his neighborhood and they argued from Proverbs 8 that Jesus is a created being and thus not eternal. Christians rightly consider this view to be a heresy. 
And that's why I introduced it as a view that some who profess to be Christians hold. It's not a Christian view. So at least three more views. So Christians don't agree on exactly how to interpret Proverbs 8 with reference to God the Son. Here are the three other options. View two, Proverbs 8 teaches about wisdom and not God the Son. So some Christians argue that we should interpret the Old Testament apart from the New Testament. So without letting the New Testament affect in any way how we interpret the Old Testament. So according to this view, Proverbs 8 is exclusively about wisdom and not about God the Son at all. So according to this view, God the Son is not present in Proverbs 8. I don't think this view is correct. In a moment, I'll show you why I think it's better to say that in Proverbs 8, God, the divine author of Scripture, intended to communicate about God the Son. But for now, that leaves us with views 3 and 4. View 3 is Proverbs 8 directly describes God the Son. So according to this view, Proverbs 8 does not personify the virtue of wisdom, which is what I've been saying throughout the sermon. According to this view, uh, wisdom in Proverbs 8 is not a virtue. It's a person. That is, it's not about wisdom. It's about God the Son. Some Christians think that Proverbs 8 directly describes God the Son when he took on flesh at his incarnation. So in the early church, Athanasius rightly and valiantly argued against Arius that Jesus is God. So go Athanasius there. But Athanasius argued that Proverbs 8 refers to Christ's incarnation, that is, when God the Son took on flesh, not to when God the Son existed before the incarnation. And then there's other Christians who hold this view who would say, in contrast to Athanasius, Proverbs 8 directly describes God the Son, particularly when the triune God created the world. So wisdom is what the Lord possessed from the beginning, which means that wisdom is eternal and thus refers specifically to God the Son. And then some might protest, well, Proverbs 8 describes wisdom as a woman, so how can it refer to God the Son? And adherents of this view would answer that the word wisdom in Hebrew is feminine only grammatically, which is typical for abstract words. And a further argument for this view is that Proverbs 30, verses 3 and 4, identifies the wisdom of Proverbs 8 as God's Son. And that's in a passage that asks, who has ascended to heaven and come down? And that's a passage that John 3.13 connects with Jesus. So some friends I highly respect hold this view, and it might be correct. But to me, this view seems strained. I think view four is more persuasive. So let me, let me show that to you. View four is Proverbs 8 describes wisdom personified, and God the Son fulfills this passage because he ultimately embodies wisdom. So I think Proverbs 8 connects to Jesus by analogy. More specifically, I think Proverbs 8 is picture prophecy. It's typology. So to explain what I mean by that, I'm gonna take a step back and share my view on how the Old Testament and New Testament relate to each other. I'm gonna go into seminary professor mode for just a minute. You're thinking, you're just not going into that mode? Yes, this is just going into that mode. <laughs> and if you can stay with me, I think it will help you better appreciate how God designed the whole Bible to fit together. So I put this on the slides so you can follow with me. I believe that New Testament authors consistently interpret 
Old Testament passages in their literary context. And Old Testament passages may have an expanded meaning that the divine author intended, but that the human author did not consciously intend. So three key related components to this approach, expanded meaning, whole Bible approach, and typology. So let's look at those one by one. Start with expanded meaning. An Old Testament passage may have an expanded meaning that its human author, like Solomon, did not consciously intend, but that the passage's divine author did intend. And it's that divine intention that New Testament authors occasionally refer to when they discern an expanded meaning in an Old Testament passage. So expanded meaning doesn't mean that the Old Testament passage's meaning changes, but that in retrospect, you can recognize an expanded meaning that the human author didn't consciously intend, but that God intended all along, the divine author intended all along from the beginning. And then a whole Bible approach is the basis for recognizing this expanded meaning. So a whole Bible approach views the entire Bible as the ultimate literary context for interpreting any Old Testament passage. So the whole Bible has unity because it has a single divine author. The Old Testament authors may have suspected that what they wrote is pregnant with meanings that they didn't fully understand or comprehend. But even if they didn't have such an inkling, Old Testament authors would not object to how New Testament authors use the Old Testament. The divine author does not intend a meaning contrary to what the Old Testament human authors intended to communicate through their words. Or, as I have on the screen here, God may intend more, but not less than what the human authors intended. And then, three here, typology is how we recognize an expanded meaning that the divine author intended, but that the Old Testament human author did not consciously intend. Typology is picture prophecy. So it analyzes how New Testament persons, events, and institutions fulfill Old Testament institutions, events, persons. So um, I have on the slide here three examples of that. Uh, Jesus fulfills King David as a greater king. Jesus fulfills the Exodus. How? How does he fulfill the Exodus? That's an event well, with the greater redemption. And then Jesus fulfills the sacrificial system as a better sacrifice. That's typology. So how does this fulfillment work? You re repeat Old Testament situations at a deeper climactic level that God intended all along. Are you still with me? Okay, so I shared that little lesson about typology to help you better understand what I mean when I say that Proverbs 8 is picture prophecy. So I'd say it like this. In the context of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 8 describes wisdom personified. In the context of the whole Bible, Proverbs 8 prophetically pictures God the Son. That is, God the Son ultimately fulfills this passage because he ultimately personifies wisdom. God the Son is the eternally existing agent through whom God created the world. Wisdom describes God's character when he created the world, and God the Son is the agent through whom God created the world. So let me just remind you some of what the, the New Testament says about God the Son. John 1, all things were made 
through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Colossians 1. By him, by God the Son, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Hebrews 1, God the Father says to God the Son, you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. So Proverbs 8, 23 to 26 emphasizes that wisdom existed before God created the world. And the New Testament emphasizes that God the Son is before all things. Colossians 1.17. The gospel according to John begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Revelation 3.14 describes Jesus as the beginning of God's creation, which I think refers to Proverbs 8.22. Colossians 1.15 says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation in the sense that he is preeminent or supreme over creation. So to summarize, Proverbs 8, 22 to 31 says that you should listen to wisdom for four reasons. I existed before God created the world. Therefore, I'm distinct from creation and I'm eternal. Number two, I was there when God created the world. I saw him do it. Number three, I wasn't just there when God created the world. I helped him create the world. And number four, I've been God's constant delight and I enjoy God and his world. And God the Son, I think, fulfills this passage because he ultimately embodies wisdom. And now let's consider the final appeal in verses 32 to 36. Listen to wisdom if you want to be happy. Listen to wisdom if you want to be happy. Verse 32. And now, O sons, listen to me. Ideas four, blessed or happy are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Don't disregard it. Don't ignore it. Blessed or happy is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting to keep watch beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. That is, he invites all kinds of disaster into his life. All who hate me love death. All who hate me love death. Now you want to be happy, right? We all want to be happy. You choose what you choose because you want what you want and what you want is to be happy. And sometimes you believe lies. Sometimes you think that sinning will make you happy. You think that rebelling against God will make you happy. You might feel a short-term buzz of pleasure, what Hebrews 11 calls the fleeting pleasures of sin, but that pleasure doesn't last. You won't ultimately be satisfied. You won't ultimately be happy by gossiping or by overeating in a greedy way or by being bitter at someone or by greedily amassing a lot of money or by covetously longing for more stuff, or by pretending that you're female when God made you male, or pretending that you're male when God made you female, or by anxiously doubting whether God's words are true and trustworthy, or by indulging in worldly entertainment, 
or by pursuing sexual pleasures outside the marriage covenant. If you want to be happy, that's not the way. If you want to enjoy ultimate satisfaction, then you must listen to wisdom. So there are two ways to live here. You could ignore wisdom and thus injure yourself and find death. Notice the last line of Proverbs 8, all who love me find love death. All who, how's it go? All who hate me love death. That's one option. Option two, listen to wisdom and thus be happy and find life. Which way are you going to go? Those are the two options. Listening to wisdom doesn't mean merely that you follow wise advice. It does mean that you follow the wisdom in Proverbs, of course. But it's more than that because Jesus ultimately embodies wisdom. So ultimately, listening to wisdom means that you obey Jesus, that you obey the perfect wisdom of God. And obeying Jesus means obeying the book of Proverbs and the rest of the Bible with God's help. So to summarize, the main idea of Proverbs 8 is listen to wisdom. What's wisdom? It's a skill to live well, to live prudently and astutely. Wisdom's calling out to guide you. Listen to wisdom because wisdom is true and valuable. Love wisdom if you want to live prudently and astutely. Wisdom helped the Lord create the heavens and the earth. So listen to wisdom if you want to be happy. Is there an area in your life in which you are not listening to wisdom? Don't be a fool by ignoring wisdom. Wisdom understands how the world works. And Jesus Christ ultimately embodies wisdom. He created the world. He sustains the world. He rules the world. So if you want to be happy, submit to King Jesus. Follow King Jesus. Love Jesus. Enjoy Jesus. Treasure Christ in all of life. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for speaking wisdom to us. Please open our ears so that we will truly listen to wisdom. Help us reject lies and live according to the truth. Help us see wisdom as true and valuable. Help us love wisdom. Help us live prudently and astutely. And we thank you that Christ embodies wisdom. Please help us treasure Christ in all of life. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sermons Podcast from the North Church. For more information about our church or resources to help you deepen your walk with Christ, please visit us at thenorthchurch.com.